Welcome to the DadCast Podcast. I'm your host, Lavelle Lamonnier. Now, as a Christian man, a husband, father, grandfather, business owner, professor, and proud U.S. Army veteran, I've gained some unique perspectives on life's issues. So as a result of that, this podcast is designed to give a dad's perspective on everything from A to Z. I'd like to give a big thank you to our sponsors, writeitout.tech, where you can get all of your academic writing needs met, and by Lamonier Photography, where we see the world through a different lens. Let me also give a great big shout out and special thanks to my lovely wife, Dr. Gabrielle Lamonier, who is the co-creator and co-content manager of this broadcast. Dadcast Nation, what's up everyone? I'm sitting here at the edge of my seat. I can't wait to get into today's topic. But just before we do that, let's get into our financial tip of the day. Let me throw this little disclaimer out there. I'm not an investment broker or a financial consultant. I'm just a dad who follows the market and has a background in accounting, finance, and economics. So these tips are purely speculative. I was reading an article this week about some stocks that analysts are predicting to do well in the market jitters as the market jitters increase because of the upcoming election. You see, markets thrive on risk. You've heard me mention the classic cliches such as buy low and sell high, and I've referred to the bullish market versus the bearish market. Buying low and selling high has always been known as the way to make a profit. Uh, from the earliest days of human bartering. And whether the market is moving up or moving down, whether investors follow a bullish or bearish strategy, it's possible to turn that elusive, sometimes elusive profit. So let's talk about buying low. With the overall market reaching, uh, has recovered nicely since the pandemic swoon of the midwinter, many stocks are, are still struggling with a depressed share value. Some of them are fundamentally sound, and Wall Street analysts have taken note. Markets thrive on risk, but the thing about risk is that it's hard to talk about. It's easy to fall back on those cliches that we've mentioned. So here are a couple of stocks that you can research and consider getting in on before the election that's coming up in a few weeks. There's the Diamondback Energy Company with the symbol F-A-N-G. It's a Texas-based oil company in the Permian Basin and is producing about 170,000 barrels of oil per day. The stock is currently under $2 per share, but analysts believe it has an upward swing to possibly $48 a share in the future. It might be worth taking a look at. And another one to look at is the Champion X Corporation with the symbol CHX. This oil company has analysts predicting a 73% upward turn in the near future. And so let's check it out. You can, all, you can find this information and much more on Yahoo Finance. All right, now for our inspirational thought of the day. It comes from the Dalai Lama who once said, Love and compassion are necessities, not luxuries. Without them, humanity cannot survive. I certainly think we can use a healthy dose of that in our lives today. All right, all right. I know you guys are sitting there. You've gone through all of the uh, financial tips, and now you are ready for the dad joke of the day. Here it comes. 
Why did the football coach go to the bank to get his quarterback? <laughs> all right, all right. It's a dad joke, funny to some, not so much to others. All right, folks, it's time to dig deeply into a topic that many people wonder about, but very few actually hold discussions about. We're talking to, in today's episode about cultural sensitivity in the church. That's right, in the church, folks. And to help me try and make sense of this topic, I've got a super special guest in the studio with me today. This man is one of God's brightest stars, and that's no line. That's the absolute truth. He is a teacher a writer, a pastor, and he describes himself as someone who loves all people and walks ancient paths. He is the lead pastor of the Bay Area Church in League City. He is married to his lovely wife, Angela, and they have three beautiful daughters. He's a graduate of the Baylor University Southwestern Seminary and Liberty Theological Seminary, where he earned his D-men in discipleship and family ministry. He is the author of several books, including Relentless Parenting, Parenting, co-written with his wife, the book Shift with What If, What It Takes, I'm sorry folks, What It Takes to Finally Reach Families Today, and The Legacy Path, Discover Intentional Spiritual Parenting. He has also been a contributing author on several other projects. One of the things that I really love about this man is that he has a heart for veterans, and we'll speak about that a little bit later in the show. So, folks, he's the real deal. Help me welcome to the DadCast podcast, Pastor Brian Haynes. Hey, Lavelle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful to be here and connect with you and everybody that's listening today. So thanks so much. Well, thank you for being here, Pastor Haynes. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today. Thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to come and meet with us and to speak to our listeners. I'm sure that uh, people are going to get a lot out of this great episode. So let me give our listeners a few statistics that we can then we can jump right into the discussion. According to PewForum.com, mm -hmm. approximately 71% of the U.S. population reports to be Christian. There are another nearly 6% who report to be of a non-Christian faith. In 2014, a study found that 37% of the Christians in the U.S. say they are Republicans, while 44% say they are Democrats, and 18% claim to be independents. In total, just between the Catholic Church, the Southern Baptist Convention, the United Methodist Church, and the Mormon Church, and the Church of God in Christ, we're talking about some 103 million people, and that's not all of the denominations included. So we've got a large number of folks out there that are of Christian faith mm -hmm. um, that make up the church. And I'm sure, of course, you're already familiar with these statistics, but it's laying a backdrop for what we're going to discuss. Dr. King said way back in 1964 that 11 a.m. Sunday is the most segregated hour in our nation. Mm. And that's something that still rings to be true in some, true. some cases today. Yep. It sure is. Um, so when we talk about cultural sensitivity in the church, we're talking about a lot of opinions and a lot of positions. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to throw out a few questions and uh, see how we can get through this discussion. Yeah, great. So the first question I have is, what does cultural sensitivity mean to you in the context of the church setting? 
Yeah, so <clears throat> I'd like to say I have been aware of this topic longer than I, I have, but I, I really haven't. Um, in fact, uh, while I've thought about it many times related to other faiths, Islam, Judaism, things like that, I never really thought about it in light of the context of my own church and how do we love different kinds of people, all different kinds of people in our own own church. And so when I think about cultural sensitivity, I go back into my context. I'll start with my context and maybe work out okay. from there. But So we're in League City, Texas, specifically West League City. It's predominantly white section of, of League City. Our church is predominantly white. However, we do have uh, a percentage of people from all different backgrounds. And uh, unfortunately, I think, uh, for a long period of time, having grown up in predominantly white churches and those kinds of things, I was not sensitive to maybe different backgrounds, different cultures, different understandings and experiences uh, that people came to the table with uh, when, they, when they come to church. And so it's only been... Um, really, I'd say recently in the last few years that I've been sitting and listening to people that have different color skin that I have, different backgrounds than I, I have that, that are in my church or in other churches and hearing their experiences. And, uh, and so I'm learning a lot. I'm in a, in a, uh, immersion program in this regard because, uh, because I really Personally, I'll just say I wasn't sensitive. I don't think I was mean, but I don't think I was sensitive to uh, where everybody's coming from. And when, uh, specifically when the George Floyd uh, murder happened, I was compelled to listen. Like, uh, this is not the first time. It's This has been dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And uh, how 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 often do I just pray with our church about something like that and then move on like it's just another blip on the on the radar that kind of thing and I begin right. to listen to people and learn a lot about cultural sen sensitivity and um, I think for my church and specifically but then the church universally the deal is we have to. Um, when it comes to cultural sensitivity, we have to value by listening and understanding everyone's unique experience. I realize I don't have to compromise my theology, my understanding of who Jesus is, the gospel, anything like that, to simply listen to someone and understand where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think this is a big part of it. I think the maybe the predominantly white church has more difficulty in this area, although I, I might be wrong, but I just don't think we've listened uh, over time. We just thought maybe, you know, that's not our problem. And that was insensitive uh, totally. And so realizing we're all a body of Christ. We love all people. We're all creating the image of God and then teaching those things uh, and <coughs> teaching our people to listen and empathize. Um, Getting past um, us and them, getting past um, 
the politics of that, which is really difficult, honestly, in, in this moment in time particularly, but I think it's always been political to some, some degree. Mm -hmm. uh, but getting past the politics of it to see the person, to see the people. And for me, it's about discipling our people to, uh, to really value people, to be sensitive enough to understand, to listen, to learn, um, to understand their plight. Because I don't think, I don't. I think we're pretty busy people, all of us. I think we just keep moving, and when we like, when we think something doesn't apply to us, we have a tendency to not listen. Right. And so, leaning into that tension, leading into uh, listening with love and empathy, helping the the whole church understand, especially. In a predominantly white church, helping the, whole, the predominantly white church understand everybody here is not white. Everybody here is not Republican. Everybody here doesn't experience life the same way that you do. And, and bringing everybody to the same table because of Christ, unifying us in Christ, pointing us to Jesus, all those things. I think it's important. But it takes effort, uh, effort that I wasn't exerting a few years ago effort that now as a pastor I see uh, clearly as uh, paramount to what we do to, to not only um, love people well, but to reach our community, to reach our city. You know, I think it's interesting, uh, Pastor Brian, that um, we, when I say we, I'm talking about people of different races that are of the Christian faith, mm -hmm. can sit uh, and read the same passage of Scripture and can walk out with totally different interpretations of it. Right. Um, and I think that filters over into the way we communicate with each other in society. We see the same outward view, mm -hmm. but we each have a different interpretation of that view. Mm -hmm. uh, and it makes it difficult sometimes because even I was thinking about, uh, as I was preparing for this episode, thinking of how to put myself in the mindset of a a, a white person who has to hear all the time about cultural sensitivity. Now it's prevalent and they have to hear uh, people say things about, um, uh, you know, just being sensitive in, in to other cultures and getting along in the church and getting along in society. And then you have all these news things that come out uh, about how people are not getting along. And I, I was thinking to myself, if I was on the other side of this table, then I guess it would be a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. But then conversely, looking at it from my perspective and from those that resemble me, mm -hmm. um, we might say, well, we've been dealing with this for generations. Mm -hmm. So there's a balance that I think we have to find, but we definitely need to communicate in the church because we go, as you know, we go to church every Sunday mm -hmm. And we hug each other and mm -hmm. we give pats on the back and attaboys and all those things. But like you said, we get busy. We go on with our life and the things that affect some doesn't affect others and vice versa. Right. Um, so, so in your church, uh, let's see. In your church, let's look at it from a worship perspective just for a moment. Um, when we talk about cultural sensitivity, there's even some... Like you can see, you know, on my keyboard, I'll, I'll put uh, different chord arrangements mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And in the black church, predominantly black church, mm -hmm. we use certain chords that give a particular sound. Mm -hmm. um, in some of the 
I hate to make it black and white, but yeah. just in the context of this, this discussion, in some of the white churches, they use different chords mm -hmm. that give it a different sound. So what do you do when you have a church that is melting? Mm -hmm. How do you not alienate some and embrace yeah. others? So I think it's very difficult, actually. So my church is a 130-year-old Southern Baptist church, you know, and uh, it's worship is on one hand wonderful I mean I'm really grateful for the spirit of worship in our church I'm grateful that all different kinds of people come there and worship and all that but if I had to characterize it I would say it would be geared toward a white audience at this point do I want it to be do I aspire it to be something else you know yes but it's hard to make the transition you know, once once you're a particular way, every all of your mu musicians are white. I mean, we do have a Hispanic, you know, keyboard player, African American bass player, but but for the mo most part, they're all white. The guy planning it is white, and so you get you you're gonna get through that filter. You're gonna get Hillsong and Bethel, and you know, all of those those things that. I don't want to characterize it white or black either, but it seems to come out sort of sort of white uh, right. in worship. And uh, I have a great friend, a mentor, a spiritual father to me. His name is Bob Roberts, and he constantly tells me, like, you need to uh, be more of a kaleidoscope on your on your stage because your heart and and where your church is going and who, who you're beginning to reach is different than who's on your stage even and so that's a that's a real uh a, a real i don't know if obstacle is the right word but a, a real challenge that we have to begin to make some change in regard to how, how do we connect with people in worship when we're not just trying to connect with a 34-year-old white suburban family with two kids and a dog. Right. Know? But but instead, we're really beginning to connect South Houston all the way to the island and all the communities in between. And, and how do we how do we do that? And it's it's a wrestle for me as a 47-year-old pastor, you know, who's been doing things kind of the same way for a long time. It's like, how do we take now what we're learning and put it into into practice and so we're at the very beginnings of that in our church i've had some awesome opportunities to experience like african-american churches and go there as a as a white man a white pastor and preach uh, or pray and i always recognize just the drastically different culture like the people are talking back to me when i preach <laughs> or you know or whatever and or the keyboards playing while i'm preaching you know <laughs> And it's just like two, two, different, two different cultures in a way. And so when we begin to meld those two, we just have to understand like each other a little bit. It's like I, I have to, it's a give and take, I think, kind of like a marriage, you know, where we begin to understand each other's uh, preferences, our backgrounds, our experiences, and why we worship the way that we do and how we do. And, um, you know, we, we, we can learn a lot from each other, I think, in that way. But I think we have a long way to go. We don't have it figured out. You know, don't come to our church and, and look and say, <laughs> that's exactly how you do it. Because uh, we're, just, we're just talking through this right now and really trying to understand, you know, what is right. 
because you do have a context, right? You, you are in the center. I mean, our, our, where we are located, the P, our ministry target area right around there is predominantly white. So do you, do you kind of try to reach them by using things, you know, pragmatism, practicalities, strategies that will reach the people right around you? Or do you morph that and try to reach farther outside that ministry target zone? And that plays all into like where people live and how people tribe up and where they live and how all that happened and all of those things. And so it's complicated in my mind. Um, so we always say like everybody's welcome, but I always get feedback like that. That seemed like it was pretty uh, white, you know. If when people are honest with me, uh, that came from a different background, uh, but not all. I mean, people love it, enjoy it. We just we just have steps to take still. Right. We experience the same thing actually, uh, because we're a predominantly black church, mm-hmm. and if um, someone of a different race came to our church. Uh, and they came from a more suburban or Southern Baptist background. Mm-hmm. And we're, um, you know, we're a Baptist church, but a missionary Baptist church mm-hmm. where the cultural context is predominantly uh, African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously it's going to be different, different style of worship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, you know, we're seeing gentrification. We're seeing um, uh, people moving down into the third ward area where we are, who are of different races, mm-hmm. different uh, socioeconomic standings. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, how do we as a church position ourselves to meet that demographic? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think across the board, it's an issue that everybody, sure. you know, has to face mm-hmm. and deal with. Um, it's eye opening. But I do want to commend you before we move on because you, you mentioned something earlier and, and, Folks that are listening, I met Pastor Brian in an Uber of all places. <laughs> That's right. And, and uh, it was a God-ordained moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I've seen from you, the times that we've been in different meetings and whatnot, mm-hmm. um, you've been the same person you were when I met you, and we didn't know who each other was. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that about you. I think that that emanates... Um, I'm sure I haven't been to one of your worship services, mm-hmm. but I imagine that that has to emanate from you when you're ministering uh, to your congregation. And so um, I do appreciate that about you, and, and thank you for being mm-hmm. genuine in sure. the way that you approach things. Sure. Um, the next question, and this is an interesting one, how does today's social climate impact the way that you pastor your church? And we kind of talked about that a little mm-hmm. bit. Um but does it change the way you approach your your messages? I know right now you're doing an interesting series of messages. Mm-hmm. It's entitled. What's the title? Yeah. Well, we just finished. It's called God on Race, and okay. the idea was uh, behind the series was that um, oh, because just this time period is politically charged um, for the for us here in the United States of America, and because. In the city of Houston, racism is a an issue at the sort of the paramount of, or pinnacle of everyone's conversation and, and thought, and certainly we as church leaders are thinking about that. Uh, my issue was like, okay, everybody from lots of different directions are screaming at us about race, 
But let's take a look. Let's take a short walk through the scriptures and look at what God has to say on race. We'll cut out all the other voices for right now. We'll just look at what God has to say. And I wanted to build a, I told them, I'm building a three-legged stool in these, these three messages. I want you as a believer to be able to sit down on this stool and it'll be your foundation from which you offer discourse and dialogue and relationships. And as you speak into this, you have to be really careful about what you're saying and how you're saying it because people hear things many different ways. So the, in my mind, the safest thing to do is to understand what God has to say because he's the designer of all of this and then apply that in the context of the conversation, in the context of the culture. So we, you know, week one, we talked about just the universality of, uh, of all of us, me, you, everybody being created in the image of God. But that universally we're fallen, me and you and everybody else, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And universally we need a redeemer. We need a rescuer, Jesus. And so I just said, hey, it doesn't matter where you're from, what color your skin is, what language you speak. We're all equal in the eyes of God. Let me, let me chime in right here because mm-hmm. I know some of these listeners are going to put a pin right there. Mm-hmm. And they've heard it said many, many mm-hmm. times that we're all equal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that uh, you know, as Christians, and, and we, can, you know, we can travel back in yeah. time and look at some of the missteps that have been taken but many Christians have used the Bible mm-hmm. unjustly Correct. against other races. Yeah. And then those that have been are, are the ancestors of those who have been uh, unjustly treated mm-hmm. will say, well, it's the Bible's fault yeah. <laughs> because right. they used, they were, you know, they were, they were Christians yeah. and look at what they did to us. Yeah. Um, so I want, I want us to park right there for a minute and try mm-hmm. to make the person who's listening, and many of whom may not be Christians, mm-hmm. uh, understand how you can say as a white pastor and I as a, a black minister mm-hmm. uh, that we are all created equal. Yeah. Um, is that really what God means? Yeah, so I mean, I think you're <laughs> in all your observations there, Lavelle, you're exactly right. The, the church has throughout history said one thing and done another uh, many times uh, in many different ways and certainly in American history um, the the Bible has at times been used in a negative way specifically for black and brown people uh, by white people so I can understand putting the pen in and saying hold on you know hold on a minute Um, One of the things that I showed our church was uh, Jesus went to uh, Samaria at one time and the disciples were with him and and uh, they weren't received. The, the, The people, they looked at him and they knew he was Galilean and not Samaritan. And just to make a long story short, there's a big racial divide between Galileans or Judeans and Samaritans for lots of reasons, politically charged everything in the first century. And so Jesus goes into Samaria. He's not received there. And his disciples actually use a Bible passage where Elijah 
called fire down from heaven to <laughs> defeat these 400 prophets of Baal. And they said, should we, should we call down fire from heaven? So what they were doing was using a biblical antidote to say, should we just consume these people who won't receive us? Because we're, we're experiencing a sort of racism right here. Mm-hmm. We're not received because of, of where we're from, because of who we are. And Jesus rebuked them. Even though he was the recipient of the racism in that moment, he rebuked them and he said, our, my, 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 our role is not to destroy, but to save. And uh, that spoke volumes to me. One, it shows like even the disciples weren't um, exempt from using the Bible in a wrong way to, for destructive purposes. And he corrected that. Jesus corrected that. But also it shows me of you know, his love for us. I mean, Jesus, the, in my opinion, the greatest demonstration of the love of God. You know, he was going through Samaria to go to Jerusalem to die on a cross to save us all from our sins because we, even though we're all created in the image of God, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what does God think of us? I'll, I'll take it to a different context. Uh, I was in the Middle East um, a couple years ago, and uh, I have really good friends there that are Muslim. Muslim friends. You as a Christian pastor have Muslim friends. In the Middle East. Okay. Arab Muslim (laughs) friends who some would deem radical, but receive me with hospitality in their homes, in their mosques. They allow me uh, to speak and ask questions in their mosque. Um, We have a good time together, you know, whenever whenever we're there. And I, I told them while I was there the last time, it's like at the they asked me this question, do you think I'm going to, we're going to hell because we're Muslim? Hmm. That's, a, that's a tough question yeah. in the Middle East, in a mosque, and to stay true to my faith, my, my, what I read in the scriptures, Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's the, what I understand from the scripture. So if you're not coming through Jesus, I don't care who you are, where you're from, you, you're, you're not saved, in my understanding, according to the scripture. And so uh, I said... I'm going to answer that question, but before I do, I want you to know this is what I believe about you. I love you. Uh, God loves you. And that you and me, even though we're from different sides of the world, grew up in different places, have different, we're even using different books, different playbooks completely, all created in the image of God. Every one of us. Um, That being said, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. So either he's a liar or he's crazy or he really is the Lord and the only only way. But that doesn't change what I think about you. I love you. I don't care where you're from. Um, that's, how, that's how God loves. He doesn't hate somebody who uh, has not chosen to follow him. He created He's, he's that, you know, if you ever heard that story of the prodigal son, you know, mm-hmm. it's really the story of the prodigal father. I mean, not the, the good father, not the prodigal son, because the, the picture is of this dad who gave his son everything. His son went and squandered everything, and he's just waiting for him to come home. And as soon as he does, you know, he welcomes him back, puts a ring on his fingers, shoes on his feet, a new robe, kills a fattened calf, they have a party. That's our God. He loves whether we're accepting him or rejecting him. 
because we're all created equally in the image of God. And that's how we have to, I don't care where you are in the world or that's how we have to approach all people. It doesn't matter their socioeconomic class, you know, whether, whether the poorest of the poor, the richest of the rich. It doesn't matter their education level. It doesn't matter their skin color, where they live, if English is their second language or their first language. At the base level, we respect and honor people because they're created in the image of God. That doesn't mean I have to agree with them on everything, but I, I have to look at them as a creation of my God. And so in that way, I have to respect them. So I think, you know, yeah, we put the pen in. We say, well, the church did this, the church did that. That's why I want to tell my church, you know, hey, let's take all the voices out for just a minute and let's look at what God says. You know, all of us created in the image of God. Uh, all of us equally redeemed who would come through Christ. It doesn't matter what your background or circumstance or situation. He's a lover of our souls. He equally saves us, equally rescues us. He equally gives us a new identity. Revelation, the end of the Bible, it says, every nation, tribe, and tongue is in heaven singing praises and glorifying God. And in the book of Revelation, it's like, we don't lose, lose our identity. In heaven, there's still ethnos. There's still different people groups. Right. But we're all one in Christ. Right, and so that's what I hope for the church. Like that's what I'm praying for for the church, for my church, for our church is the universal church, specifically the church in America, is that we would become one in Christ, uh, no matter our skin color, and that we could approach people, even if they aren't in Christ, in a way that respects them because they're created in the image of God. Right. Yeah, yeah that's that's interesting. That is um, important. Um, it crosses racial lines it crosses gender lines as well right uh, because in a lot of our churches unfortunately um, women haven't been treated the way that they should be uh, and as an equal mm -hmm. uh, and so um, yeah I think that's that's important that's interesting uh, your travels to the Middle East I guess are very eye-opening for you I wish everybody had an opportunity to get out of the, our country and see the world and uh, experience different cultures because it gives us a better appreciation uh, for each other. Um, so here's a, another topic that is interesting. It's probably been beaten to death mm -hmm. in this um, excited climate that we live in. Mm -hmm. But I want to touch on it just briefly. Um, this idea, and I don't know who coined the phrase initially, but this idea of white privilege mm -hmm. Um, it's something that has come to the surface and it it is surfaced from the perspective of as an African-American man, if I walk out of my house here in a nice uh, suburban community, all of our houses, you know, look similar. Mm -hmm. um, it's a community. Mm -hmm. But if I walk outside of my house, um, I'm far more likely to if, if an officer is passing by through the neighborhood, mm -hmm. it is highly more likely that they would stop me and ask me, do I need anything? Mm -hmm. uh, do I live in this neighborhood? Mm -hmm. uh, do I belong here, basically? Mm -hmm. Then if you walked out of my house mm -hmm. right now right. <laughs> and into that same neighborhood, mm -hmm. the chances are the officer would drive by you, wave, mm -hmm. and keep going. 
that that causes people to think that there is something such as white privilege that exists. What are your thoughts on that? Um, and I guess drop it into the context of let's imagine you have several hundred people of different races coming to your church over the next couple of years um, and they come loving your setting, loving your worship experience, loving the word that you're bringing, but they come with the baggage of thinking that white privilege uh, applies to some um, and that they get the raw end of that deal, basically. So this is uh, for when I first started speaking about these issues in my church or in other panels or those kinds of things. For the white community, this was a supercharged topic, mm -hmm. very offensive. And uh, because, uh, and maybe the first time I ever heard it, maybe I, I've, I don't even remember the first time I heard the term. It's been a while, but maybe I was offended too. I don't know but super offensive immediately following all the discussions related to George Floyd and things that have happened there. And uh, I remember I mentioned this in the context of the sermon and really got some, some tough feedback uh, from that and had to have some conversations with people to understand like, where are you coming from and why are you so fragile for, for lack of a better term you know what's what's the deal and so it, it's a tough one but so here's what I've come to understand what, what I think I understand and it's because I've, I've actually asked my black and brown brothers to explain this to me because I need to be able to explain it and understand it in a way that makes sense to a white whiter congregation right mm-hmm and so what they've said to me over and over again is we're not saying you didn't work hard because that's one of the objections. You hear the word privilege, you think you're saying everything was given, given to us, but I did this, I did that, I worked really hard, I've suffered in ways, you know, blah, blah, blah. We're not saying you didn't work hard. Uh, we're not saying that you didn't work hard to, to ha have what you have. We're not saying that you never went through any difficulty. We're not even saying that you've never been discriminated against in some particular way. But what private, what white privilege is at its core is the understanding that I, as a white person, have probably, I might have faced discrimination because I'm a pastor, because I'm a Christian in the Middle East, definitely because I'm an American. But in the context of Texas, the United States of America, I've never, I have personally never that I know of faced persecution or suffering or even uh, 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 any sort of difficulty or, or injustice because of the color of my skin. Um, and that in and of itself is a privilege. I don't worry about the same things that some of my friends worry about and I didn't even realize, this is how privileged maybe I am, I, I didn't even realize that they were worried about this. I didn't realize that they were teaching their young teenage boys, you know, how, how, I never taught my, my teenage daughters how to, how to, um, how to deal with a traffic stop, you know, from the standpoint of, 
if they pull you out of the car, don't fight back, comply, you know, don't give them any mouth, it's yes sir, no sir. I mean, I taught my kids to be polite. Actually, from a girl's perspective, I, I, I taught them to crack the window, you know, those kinds of things, but it was because they're a woman, not because they're they're black or brown. I've got friends that are like from early on, like we gotta we gotta teach our kids how to roll in a white world. You know, one illustration I heard that was very good is um, I thought was very good is is um, I, you know have someone asked me have you ever have you ever gone to an interview where you felt like I have to put this guy or this woman who's interviewing me at ease because of the color of my skin. I know that I know that they're gonna, I, that's an obstacle. I'm like, no, you know, I've never thought about that. And he goes, well, in my world, I gotta put them at ease about who I am. I gotta speak a certain way. I gotta be articulate. I gotta dress a certain way just to overcome the color of my skin because you know you look like speaking of me you look like their son their daughter their their you know uncle whoever but i look like the guy you know that they never talked to that lives on the other side of town and so i've got to overcome that and so when i'm going to hear those kinds of stories i realize like at, at its at, at its most ba in its most basic form and people mean lots of different things actually when they say white privilege but the common thing that that I, i've heard is is understanding as a white person coming to the the, the awareness that i have not likely not faced discrimination because of the color of my skin might have been for other reasons but not because of the color of my skin. And mm -hmm. that gives me a little bit of a privilege. And, and what I'd say to my, any white brothers and sisters that are listening to this is that well, the, this also my brown and black brothers and sisters that I've talked to you about this, they've said to me, this is not something you should feel guilty about because you didn't, you didn't choose the color of your skin. So right. don't sit in shame but steward that privilege, make a difference with it, you know, but recognize it, at least rec recognize it. And I think that was all good, uh, good counsel. I mean, it gets thrown into political forums and, and different uh, arenas in a different way, but at its core, that's my understanding. Yeah, that's, that's a good um, explanation of it. Um, I was thinking while you were talking about uh, recently, I don't know if you follow, uh, sports at all, but in the NBA, um, a guy by the name of Steve Nash was given the opportunity to become the head coach of the New Jersey Nets. Mm -hmm. um, the New Jersey Nets have two superstars on the team. Mm -hmm. uh, they are believed to uh, that they will be able to compete for a championship next year when mm -hmm. everyone's healthy. Steve Nash is a uh, two-time NBA MVP, well-respected around the NBA uh, but he's a white man who has never coached at any level from mm -hmm. Pop Warner all the way through mm -hmm. the NBA. Mm -hmm. Never had one day of coaching experience, never been an assistant coach, anything. Mm -hmm. Never been on the bench as a coach. Mm -hmm. um, on the flip side of that, there are many um, African-American coaches who uh, have a resume. Mm -hmm that were not afforded the opportunity to take this team. And some of the sportscasters were saying that this is an example mm -hmm. of that privilege because 
because of who he is and the color of his skin, well, what they were really saying is that if there was a black man who, with the same resume, mm-hmm. two-time MVP, many years in the league at a high level, respected by many, but never coached one game in his entire life, mm-hmm. that there's no way he would have gotten that particular mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. Uh, because that team is ready to compete for a championship. Sure. I don't know, you know, if that is how valid of an argument mm-hmm. that is. I see both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that it, it speaks of the times that we're in, mm-hmm. that people take note of mm-hmm. these type of issues. Truly. Truly. The, uh, so some of the feedback that I got when I talked about it in my church were examples of being passed over for jobs as a white person because it had to be given to a black or brown or Hispanic or Asian person because of the the policies of the company. So they would make the argument, and my skill set was there, but because they had already met their quota of, of white people I was passed over and that way I was discriminated against. And, and I hear that, like that's a disappointment and didn't get that job you wanted, or one of them was a um, uh, sort of a, well, I don't want to give a specific example, but mm-hmm. it was, uh, it's interesting that we live in this time where everybody is looking at all those things, and even in the cases that I mentioned, we don't know what we don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and, but people assume for sure it's it's got to be a race thing. it's got to be a race thing and uh it could be it really could be but then there could be more to the story one thing i've just learned in leadership too is there's always more to the story than we understand just outside looking in right um but definitely i think i believe uh people have been passed over because of the color of their skin Mm-hmm. history for many many jobs and you know we should be able to com- compare uh, skill and ability and it shouldn't be based on the color of your skin right right yeah that's interesting uh, hopefully you know we'll get to the point where um, where those are the only things that matter yeah. That we're judged, as Dr. King once said, by not by the color of our skin, but by the context of our character. Right, right. Um, if we get to that point, I think we'll be in a much better position. A couple more questions to run by you. Um, we've had all of this discussion, and I'm thinking about, too, as, as we're wrapping up the last two questions. I don't know how factual this is, but I've read some stories and some history uh, information from Josephus, mm-hmm. uh, one of the historians of the early centuries, uh, that may have indicated that during those years that are missing in the Bible of Jesus' life, that he may have traveled um, around uh, Asia Minor, the Mediterranean mm-hmm. region, uh, visiting various places. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know how factual that is, mm-hmm. but the idea of it makes sense in my mind at least. Because it's possible that Jesus would go and the stories I saw, he would sit in temples and would speak to them about their religion mm-hmm. and know more about it than they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it would fascinate them and then it would open a door for him to convey who he really is to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be great 
if in an ideal society we could all just turn toward a God mm -hmm. with no outside interference mm -hmm. and see him as he is mm -hmm. and he accepts us as we are mm -hmm. and we not have to worry about all of these things that are around us. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that we do have these things around us and we've got to deal with them. So that makes our society somewhat fragmented, mm -hmm. especially with the election coming up in a few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and this is, you know, my show isn't political at all. Um, it's, I don't even want to say it's bipartisan, it's nonpartisan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in this fragmented society, how do we bridge the gap? How do we get more people to have conversations like you and I are? Or let me tell you this, maybe you'll think this is interesting too. My wife's uh, truck, the battery died on it just uh, up the street uh, on Paraland Parkway in a parking lot. Two young ladies, uh, white ladies, uh, came out and asked her if she needed help. Mm -hmm. um, and they called their dad. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have to do any of this, but mm -hmm. they called their dad and mm -hmm. said, hey, this lady's here, her truck needs a jump. Uh, can you come and see about it? I guess they live fairly close by. He came over, and he had a Trump mask on. Uh, his face yeah, mask yeah. said that you know he supported yeah. President Trump, um, and but he helped and mm -hmm. he he gave her a jump and mm -hmm. uh, so my wife told him because as I drive through our neighborhood I see people with Trump signs mm -hmm. and I see Biden Harris signs and I said to my wife just as we were talking one day that I really would like to speak to someone. Because I voted both ways mm -hmm. historically. Mm -hmm. I try to look at the issues um, yeah. and not be Democratic or Republican. Mm -hmm. um, but I, in this particular election, I, I said to her, I would like to sit and talk with someone and have a civil conversation with someone who supports President Trump so that mm -hmm. I can understand their position. Mm -hmm. And here comes this guy with the Trump mask yeah. on. And he helps my wife. And so she tells him. She yeah. said, would you mind talking to my husband? He really wants to have a, like a real conversation. Yeah. And so uh, he gives her his, uh, his number. He gives it, uh, she gives it to me. And I call mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. And I thank him for helping my wife. And um, I get into the discussion. And we have a, a fairly lengthy discussion by telephone about it. Um, and what I found interesting is that he was really of, of the opinion that he, and you mentioned this earlier, worked very hard for everything mm -hmm. he had. His dad was a home builder. He said no one ever mm -hmm. gave him anything, uh, and he likes the president's position on business. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I understand that this, this, and that, you know, the other, and here are some of the things that I don't agree with. But the point of it was that we had two people who didn't know each other, different skin color, mm -hmm. We live in the same neighborhood. He just stays a few, not even a mile away. Mm -hmm. uh, had the opportunity to have a civil conversation and find out that we have a lot more in common mm -hmm. than the differences we have on this election. Right. So how do we bridge that gap in the church, in our society? Uh, because there are a lot of folks listening that may never don the, the doors of a church. Right. Uh, we hope they do. They're mm -hmm. welcome. But they may never go into a church. How do we bridge that gap and 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 capture that person's heart and their attention? Yeah, I think it's very difficult. And and I have asked myself the question: Will we, as fragmented as we are as a society, 
And with the onset of social media and the ability to just blast, you know, thoughts and tweetable, you know, <laughs> sentences, very short sentences without really explaining ourselves, will we ever uh, find what I would call a peacemaking uh, majority in the United States? And so what I think it takes is a willing heart. I think people have to not engage. I understand anger around the issues. There are some issues that infuriate me, honestly. Why are we doing this? Whatever. But I think people have to have a willing heart to listen and to understand each other. And while uh, being a Christian and emulating Jesus, you know, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, it helps. I know some great people that aren't Christians that have the keen ability to show compassion and empathy and listen listen to people. So I think it takes a willing heart. I do, you know, personally, I think change of heart is is really important, and that comes through Christ. But obviously, not everybody's going to come to Christ in the United States of, of, of America, and so. What has to be done? Well, I think we have to work. Um, I'm reading a book right now. It's called Morality, and it's by a guy named Jonathan Sachs. And he's a he's a sociologist. He's also a rabbi. He's also a, a philosopher, Harvard-educated guy from the UK. Um, and he's making the case that uh, we have really lost any semblance of morality. And this is, this is what has led to our fragmentation over time. So, so in the past, maybe we would agree that there are certain things that are true no matter what is said or done. There are certain things that just are true because we, we share the same moral. In the United States of America, it was, it was that way for a long period of time. There's a lot of injustice and all of that. But morally speaking, from like a morality basis, we believe that there were some things that were true, um, no matter what. Now, everybody believes they developed their own truth. And so that, that just breeds fragmentation. And so what we'll take is people that agree upon moral morality. And that could be Muslims, Jews, Christians, could be secular people or even atheists that believe uh, in the common good for humanity, honor, respect, dignity, um, that we apply those things so that we can build relationships and reach across the table. Right now, everybody's afraid to talk to everybody. Um, they only talk to people who believe the same exact way that they believe. So in that way, they tribe up, whether, whether it's ideological or whatever, or political. Um, and instead, we have, to, we, have to, we have to reach across to people that we're, we don't think like, that uh, have very different experiences uh, than me. That's, you know, that's, that's why I reach the, you know, the ways that I try to reach in my life. Uh, because I want to, I think it's going to take a, mil, a lot of people who say, just from a human dignity perspective, I, sh I should try to hear and understand what that person is saying. It's just that we've lost all sense of morality related to human dignity. 
And so uh, no matter who's talking, if they disagree with me, I just try to shout louder than them on social media. Even we saw in the presidential debate, I don't know if you watched that one. <laughs> I did. They're just, you know, it's a lot of shouting. You can't hear anybody because it's a good commentary on our society, in fact. And, uh, and we have to take a step back and embrace the morality that, that of, of human dignity. Um, and, you know, it's just those things that our, our parents, grandparents, great-grandparents be- believed in a majority sort of way that honor and respect and integrity and family and those kinds of things. And um, I just think we've, we've stepped away from that and try to make our own tr- truth. And, and we've lost um, dignity. And it just adds to the, the fragmentation. And honestly, it's really frustrating um, to me as I, I imagine it is to, to, to lots of people, but specifically as a pastor, what, a Christian pastor, when I see the, what is viewed as the Christian community, either in the media or whatever, as the most uh, abrasive, sort of loud, um, um, community that, that is, is, is not listening but instead just pushing, pushing, pushing. And I get it. There are times we need to stand up for what is right and what is true. And sometimes that's not all shalomi. It's not all full of peace, you know. Right. But but if we could lead with grace and peace, you know, not think the worst of a person because they voted the other direction or, or whatever, you know. I think that's the deal. I think it's it's unique time in our society where if you if you don't if you're not if you don't believe like I believe, then you're my enemy, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You don't have to agree on everything. The other thing I say to people all the time, and they don't get it yet, and I think I'm just starting to get it, is that in this whole arena, it's not my job to win. I'm not trying to win. I need to love, and that comes from my relationship with, with Jesus. That doesn't mean that I'll never tell the truth. It doesn't mean that I, I, I won't challenge somebody in something that they say when I think, you know, but I'll do it in love. I'll do it with proper discourse. I'll do it with grace and compassion. Um, I don't have to win. You know, it's not my job to, to, to win. I'm not the center of the universe. <laughs> you know? And so I may be rambling a bit, but that I, it's, a, it's a frustrating point for me uh, as a pastor um, and I want for our society a unity that has not been there uh, in a long time so. yeah you know I was looking at this uh, the lyrics of the song I listen uh, and, and the thing that's interesting about me is that um, you know I am a person who wants equity among races not just equality but equity among races Um and so things that I believe in, I tend to be very strong about. Not that I don't listen to other people because I do take in other mm-hmm. uh, positions, but I, I generally have strong beliefs about the things that I believe. Mm-hmm. For instance, I, this wall was filled with cowboy paraphernalia. Mm-hmm. Since I was a young kid, when Roger Starback came to our church, I grew up Catholic, mm-hmm. he came to our church, mm-hmm. um, I fell in love with the cowboys and I've been a cowboys fan my entire life. Yeah. Until the George Floyd incident. Yeah. 
for me, and I'm not saying to our listeners that anybody needs to agree with the way that I did this, but this is just my position and how I moved forward. I, I haven't watched football this season. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some things with Jerry Jones that I don't agree with mm-hmm. his stance on players. Right. Um, so I decided to make the personal decision that I'm going to do something more effective with my Sunday afternoons. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not watching football. I'm not following the Cowboys. I took mm-hmm. all the paraphernalia down mm-hmm. and I put up gone fishing, fishing, which is what I've been doing mm-hmm. quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, going fishing a lot. I've fishing. seen your catches on Facebook. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and I listen to country music. I, yeah. I love country yeah. music. And I was about to stop listening to it, yeah. uh, to be honest with you, because some of the comments in that community mm-hmm. kind of frustrated me. But then the station that I listen to, The Highway on XM, and they're not paying me for this plug, but if they're listening, it's a plug Mm -hmm. for them. They made a concerted effort to be inclusive. Mm -hmm. And that opened my eyes and it let me still listen to the type of music that I love to listen Mm -hmm. to. One of the artists, Kane Brown, has this song that he just released called Worldwide Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And these lyrics are very, they speak to the time that we're in. He says, white churches, black churches, different people, same hearses. Mm It's kind of hard to fight with each other, laying down in the ground six under. Mm. At every show I see my people. They ain't the same, but they're all equal. One love, one God, one family. You're missing every color if you're only seeing black and white. Tell me how you're going to change your mind if your heart's unmovable. We ain't that different from each other. From one to another, I look around and see worldwide beautiful. Mm. I think that kind of, for me, sums up what I wanted this con- this conversation about the cultural sensitivity mm-hmm. in the church to be. That at the end of the day, regardless of how we believe politically or how we worship, mm-hmm. we're still one people, mm-hmm. one God, mm-hmm. one family. And I'm going to give you the last few words uh, to speak to our listeners um, because there are probably some that are saying, you know, is Jesus the real way? You know, is he really the answer? Um, Or can we do it a different way? And I just want to give you the floor to speak to our listeners, uh, speak life into them. Um, I want you guys to know that a listening doesn't matter to me where you come from. We have listeners in India and the United Kingdom. Uh, We have some in Germany. We have some uh, in, um, I think I mentioned India already, Mm -hmm. France. um, That's awesome. And all of you guys who listen to the DadCast podcast, I want you to know that I don't care where you come from, who you are, what you do. I'm just glad we're all a part of one big family. And I'm going to give Pastor Brian the floor here. Yeah. Amen. Well, I want to say thanks for listening today. And Certainly, I don't have all the answers. I'm a, a fellow sojourner in this life and on this planet, just like everybody else, and trying to figure it out the best of my ability. But one thing that I, I would share with you about Jesus, I know I've talked about him a lot. He, he sort of oozes from me. I read what he has to say. I memorize it. I think about it all the time because he emulates more than any person in my view, he, he emulates the love of God. He, he, according to the scripture, in fact, is, is God in the flesh. 
And that, that, that may be a hard concept to understand, but here's some things, that, observations I, I want to make for you. Number one is uh, he's not white. So, uh, wait, wait a minute. Did you just say he's I not did. white? He's not white. <laughs> okay, I just so want to make sure I, I heard you. I know correctly. all the nativity scenes, everything else that are, have this lily white Jesus in a manger in Bethlehem, but he is brown for sure. And uh, he, uh, he spoke uh, Aramaic and uh, he faced racism himself, just like I talked about earlier. And yet he dealt with people, all kinds of people, all over, all over the place with all different backgrounds, situations, and circumstances, with respect and love. And if there's anybody that you ever would want to emulate, in my opinion, it would be Jesus. Sometimes the followers of Jesus make that hard to see. And so I'd encourage you to, to or people that say they're followers of Jesus, but may not be, make that hard to see. But I would encourage you to go and read the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John specifically. And, and learn about Jesus because you'll find uh, that, that he is such an example for how to live and how to love and really how to lead. But more than that, he's my savior. You know, he, he changed my life and it's my, my faith story that I, I couldn't, I'm a sinner, man. If I had to list all my sins for you right now, I'd be so embarrassed as Pastor Brian. Uh, but by grace, I've been saved through faith I uh, placed my faith in him. I, I trust that he died on a cross to save me from my sins, that he rose three days later, ascended into heaven, coming back again, started the greatest movement in history. And, uh, and I know he loves you and he cares about the tensions and the difficulties, the sufferings that you face. And he understands you and uh, you, can, you can call out to him anytime. And uh, I just wanna encourage you with that. Um, sometimes people label Jesus a white evangelical and, and that, that term messes with who Jesus is. Uh, look at him in the, in the Bible. Go read the book of John. I think it's awesome. So I'll leave it there. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I didn't get to uh, Pastor uh, Brian's uh, love for veterans, but he does have a love for veterans. Um, tell us real quickly before we go about your organization and what it does for mm -hmm. veterans. Yeah, we have an organization called God's Army, um, partnership with a friend of mine, a Marine, Joseph Molas, and uh, we raise money to send veterans to Israel. I lead backpacking trips in Israel two times a year. It's an adventure, it's exciting, but we really explore the hard questions of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus, and Moses, and all those those big names of the faith, but it changes people. And specifically for veterans who are struggling with things like PTSD, this has been something that we've seen uh, provides healing and comfort and strength for them. And, um, and while we don't have time now, I could rattle on stories for four hours about how that is used. So if you want more information, you could just go to bayarea.church and you'll find that. All right, all right. Thank you. And that may be something for another episode because, as everyone knows, um, as a veteran, I am very sensitive to the issues of veterans, to the suicide rate uh, that we have in our country from veterans. And I always want to reach out to my fellow veterans uh, to let you know that, um, that we hear you. We, we hear what you're going through. And we don't want to just hear you. We want to provide uh, resources that can assist you right where you are. And uh, thank you for your service as well. Thank you.
Um, Pastor Brian, it's been a pleasure. Um, I hope Thank this you. conversation resonates with people across all political lines, all social, racial mm-hmm. lines. I hope it sparks discussion mm-hmm. um, among people so that uh, others can sit down at the table and have these discussions mm-hmm. and understand that it's okay to disagree, mm-hmm. uh, but we can still walk out of here, you know, as friends. Right. Uh, so I appreciate your time. And to everyone who's been listening, as I always say on my way out, peace and blessings to all of you. And I'm out. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of the DadCast podcast. We look forward to hearing from you. Please send in your comments and questions, and we'll be sure to cover them on air in the very near future. You can reach us on Instagram at dadcastpodcast and on Twitter at dadcastp. You can also email us at comments at dadcastpodcast.com or you can go to our website at dadcastpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this show, please share it with your friends and family and also subscribe to our podcast on your listening platform so that you can get all of the information on our upcoming episodes. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to talking with you on our next episode.